You are listening to Message Rewind from Discovery Church. Hey, good morning, Discovery. Welcome to Church at Home. Hey, if you're now just popping on, you missed before. My name is John. Uh, my wife and I get this amazing opportunity to lead this community that we call Discovery. And we're so glad that you're hanging out with us today because today we turn six-ish. Uh, we say sixes, we're really turning seven today. But I mean, who wants to count last year as a year of progress? Come on, somebody. And so uh, so today, yeah, we're turning six-ish and uh, we're excited uh, to see what God is, is doing, what he's done, what he's going to do. And so I thought that today, like, why don't we just talk about the importance of, of, of vision, right? Like what happens when vision uh, becomes tainted by a situation? And so we're going to look at that this morning. And uh, we are, as I speak, you may hear things in the background. You may not. Uh, they are actually working right now, sheetrocking and all that good stuff. So if I seem a little like uh, distracted, it's because I am. And But I believe that, that this message is going to be very fruitful. So if you got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. We're going to start in verse 1. Check it out. Here we go. Three days later, when David and his men arrived home at the town of Ziglag, they found that the Amalekites had made raid into the Negev and Ziglag. They had crushed Ziglag and burned it to the ground. They had carried off the women and children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. But without killing anyone. Hey, this morning, I want to talk to you from this subject, expectation of restoration. Expectation of restoration. Hey, let's pray. Father, we love you. God, I thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to come together. God, even if it's virtual, uh, God, that, that, that we're able to come together and, 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 and feed on your word. God, I pray right now that you would speak through me. God, that this message would come forth in clarity and in boldness. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, at home, say amen. Okay, so maybe it's just me, and it might be. Uh, but I am very impatient when it comes to warming up my car in the morning. How many of you guys are like that? Like, like, for, like it's been cold too, right? So, so there are mornings when we wake up and my wife is ready to go to work. She goes out and her car is like frozen. And so like I, because like, I'm an amazing husband, I, I, like, I, I'll go get the water hose and spray down the windshield and it's like I'm so cold like I'm shivering and, and uh, like it's just, it's just a process and then you get into the car and you have to turn on the heater and it's blowing all that cold air out right before it gets to the heat and you're like ah and so you have to wait and you wait for your windows to defrost and uh, man, I just I have no patience no patience at all for that how many of you guys can relate to me like how many of you guys don't have patience Patience to see, to wait for your car to warm up. And so, uh, it, there was a while back, I remember it was a cold morning. I, it was a Sunday morning. I had to get to church. I was running a little late. And I stepped out and my car was, it was icy. It was cold. And I was like, like I don't have any time. Like, I'm going to be late. I don't have time to wait for my car to warm up. And so, 
I had this brilliant idea of, hey, let's see how well you can drive with an impaired vision because of the windshield, because it was, it was frosty. So I turn on my car and I start driving and I realize, I, I, I realize like, man, like I can't really see anything. So I'm driving super slow and then I don't know what it was, but something was like, hey, John, you should poke your head out the window to see, uh, to make sure you're not gonna hit anything. And God is, God is my witness. I stick my head out the window and as I do, I realize I am like three inches away from nailing a parked car, y'all. And so I'm like, ah, and I step on the brake and I, I, like, I'm like, oh my gosh. Like I almost just crashed. Like, aren't those jokes? Like you're such a bad driver, you, you crash into parked cars. Like I would have been that person. And what I was thinking about was how my, uh, my vision was impaired for a moment and how I handled myself in that moment would have determined if I reached my destination. I'll say that again. My vision in that moment, it was impaired because of the glass. Like I could not see my vision was impaired and how I handled myself in that moment would have determined if I would have reached my destination. Like, could you imagine if in that moment I was like, oh my gosh, and I just pulled over and I was like, I'm never driving again. Could you imagine like everyone at church like, hey, where's Pastor John? Like only to realize I am at, on the side of the road, like refusing to ever drive. Like that, you would be like, yo, you're crazy. You're, you're like, that makes no sense. Like, why would you do that? And I want to propose to you this morning that how you handle the, a moment where your vision is impaired really can dictate the, the, the speed or the length of time that it takes for you or for me to reach our final destination. See, here's what I want you to know this morning. Vision is vital because vision sets expectation for future destination. Vision is vital because vision sets expectation for future destination. So we gotta guard vision. Like the vision that God has placed in your heart, the vision that God has placed in my heart for this church, like we gotta guard it. Because the vision that God has placed in your heart, the vision that God has placed in your mind, get this, it's for, for your, the, the vision that God's given you for, for your business, for your relationship, for your career. Like before it's ever external, before we ever reach the vision, it first starts internally. So your vision, the vision that God has given you, it's fragile because before it ever comes to pass, it grows internally. It, it's something that we have to guard. Like we are guarding, like when we guard our vision, we are guarding future expectation. We're, we're guarding something that, that people around us can't really see. We're guarding something that really like we can't see in the physical. We can only see up here. So we got to guard it because it's fragile. 
Because in the moment of conception, vision is not tangible. It's not something we can grab onto, otherwise it wouldn't be a vision. Because vision is future expectation of a destination. And I, I, I began thinking about that, like just the fragile nature of vision. And, and I began to think like, if you and I, if we're not careful, I'm afraid that impaired vision will disrupt us from reaching our final destination. That because of the fragile nature of because of the fragile nature of, of, of a vision, that if we don't handle the moments where the vision, our vision becomes impaired because of a situation, because of something that has happened, I am afraid that if we don't steward that moment correctly, that the vision that God has placed in your heart and in your mind can lose steam, lose momentum, and maybe, God forbid, eventually die. And so this morning, the question is, how do we steward vision in moments of impaired vision? I was actually thinking about this because from the very beginning of, of our church, the vision of the house has always been activation. The vision of the house has always been, hey, we want you to come here on a Sunday. We want you to learn. We want you to grow. We want God, we want you to come as you are and allow the Holy Spirit to change you. But like we, like we want you to come, but the, from the very start, like we never wanted what takes place in this four walls, within these four walls, to stay in these four walls. Like if everything that we do as a church only happens here, We've missed it. Like we have always been about activation. We have always been, hey, let's take what we do here and let's take it to our world. Let's take it to your workplace. Let's take it to, to our shop. Like let's treat people with respect. Let's, let's serve people. Let's love people. Let's honor people. Like we do not want to become a church where we just do kumbaya. We feel good. Like we don't change and we leave the same way that we came. That has never been part of what we wanted to do. Jesus actually talked about this in Matthew chapter 5. He said, Hey, you are the light of the world. The city on a hill cannot be in it. But he said, like, don't be the light where someone puts a bowl over it. Like, he's like, what is the point of that? He said, let your light shine so that all the world, that all men and women can see. Like, from the very beginning, our vision has always been activation. Let's change our city. Let's reach our city. And then 2028. And like we had to figure out how to respond in an unprecedented moment. Like how do we respond when, when we are dealing with something that is beyond what, what I have ever seen in my lifetime. Beyond what most of those, most of, of you that are watching have ever experienced. 
in your lifetime. Like, how do we, how do we steward our vision in moments of hardship? How do we steward our vision? Like, if the vision is to reach our city, like, how do we reach our city when fear is running rampant all throughout our city? Like, how do we reach our city when people look at you weird because you started loading your food on a conveyor belt before they're 20 feet away? Come on, somebody. You know that's annoying. Like, if the vision is to create an atmosphere where people can come and worship God together and worship Him corporately and sing, like, if that is the vision, how do we do that when there's this narrative that if I am pro-church, that means I am anti-community? If the vision is to move people from where they are to where God wants them to be. How do we accomplish that vision when, when all the communication and all the, 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 the growth and, 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 the, and, the, and, and, and the discipleship has to take place over a thing called Zoom? When people don't know how to turn their camera on, come on. Or some people, they, they, they don't even know that there's a mute your mic button on the Zoom. Like, how do we, and I'm just messing right now, but, but like, how do we, how do we accomplish a, a vision, the vision that God has given us in moments that, that impair our vision? Like, how do I steward this vision? When in this moment, my vision is impaired. In this moment, my vision, like how do I handle, how do I steward the fragility of my vision at moments like this? Perhaps you are asking yourself the same question. Maybe you, you had a vision for your business or a vision of a career path or a, vi a vision of, of a relationship or where you wanted to be, like the expectations, like, and you found yourself just like, what, how do I, what do I do? How do I do this? See, what I've realized is that you and I, we have one or two responses when it comes to vision and how we, how we steward vision in moments when our vision's impaired. We have two choices. The first one is this, is this, like, we can relinquish our vision. Like, did you know that you can actually, you can step away from your vision, from the expectation of a future destination that God has placed over your life. Like, you can actually walk away from it. You can actually say, hey, man, this is not worth it. I just cut it as a loss. But I'm praying that, that that's not you. I'm praying that your response to the vision that God has placed over your life, the vision, the vision that God has placed for you, the expectation, right? Vision is expectation, is future expectation. The second choice is we can have an expectation of restoration. We can have an expectation 
of restoration. Like in the moments when our vision is impaired and when things are happening and, and it seems like it's not going anywhere, trust me, we can begin rather than say, man, it's a loss, it's not going to happen. We can stand firm and, and stand planted and say, no, God, it will happen. God, you will restore it. I think of, for those of you that grew up in church, you guys remember the song? Well, I went to the enemy's camp, hey, and I took back what he stole from me. You guys remember that? Took back what he stole from me. Took back what he stole from me. Well, I went to the enemy's camp, hey, and I took back what he stole. I love this part. Because he's under my feet. He's under my feet. Come on. We can have an expectation of restoration. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning for our remaining time. Because I want us to look at David and the story that we read in 1 Samuel chapter 30. Because in this moment, we see how God is so faithful at restoring what the enemy has stolen. And so... Just a brief recap, David and his men, they're coming back, 600 men, they're coming back to their village of Ziglag, and what they come upon, what they realize is, is that they, they, their, their, their town has been ransacked by the Amalekites, that they, they stole, they took their wives, their children, their livestock, and then on top of that, like they burned everything to the ground. And David and his men, they walk into their town of Ziglag and, and, and they, they're like, what just happened? What is going on? There's a point when David, he realizes that his men are angry with him. They, he realizes that his army, that these guys, that they want to just kill him. They, the Bible says that they want to stone David. And we ain't talking about recreational stoning. Like, like they want to take a stone and throw like stones at him and kill him. And here is David. He has a choice. How does he respond in this moment? And so I want to give you, uh, I want to give you three, three things, three ways that David postured himself to have an expectation of restoration. And so the first posture of David was this, the posture of prayer, the posture of prayer. Check this out. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 7. Then he said to Abathar, the priest, bring me the ephod. And Abathar brought it. Then David asked the Lord, should I chase after this band of ravens? Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. Here's what I want you to see, that in the midst of of disruption, David knew where to go. In the midst of disruption, David knew where to go. In fact, the, the scripture, verse 6, right before what we just read, said David strengthened himself in the Lord. Listen, here's what's amazing, is that he mourned, but then he moved on. Like he mourned, but then he moved on. This idea that David was not exempt from the emotions that came with such a heartache. 
but he knew that if I am going to move on, or excuse me, if I am going to get to the next place, I can't just stay mourning forever, that I have to move on. And he understood that if he was going to move on, it was going to come by him finding strength in the Lord. David was comforted by God's promise of restoration. And here's, here's what else I want you to see. Is that it was in this posture of prayer that God comforted David. It was in this posture of prayer that God comforted David with the promise of restoration. Like there is something about going to God in prayer. There is something about when you're weak. There is something about when you're dealing with, with heartache and heartbreak. There is something about going to God in prayer that strengthens your spirit. Where you find encouragement. Where you find comfort. Where you find strength. And so the first posture is a posture of prayer. Here's the second posture, posture of persistence, the posture of persistence. Let's keep reading 1 Samuel chapter 30. So David and his 600 men set out. They came out to the brook of Bessar, but 200 of the men were too exhausted to cross the brook. Come on, as a leader, Anyone who's ever led like a business or, or uh, anyone who's ever, like you can relate to this next statement. There is nothing more defeating than seeing people that you thought were going to fight by your side. Stop. There is nothing more defeating than, than seeing people who, who say that they love you that they're going to be there with you, that are going to fight with you. Come on, somebody. There is nothing more deflated than seeing those people say that and then stop. See, this is what David is facing in this moment. 600 men, yes, let's go get our family back. And as they get there, as they get to this brook where they're replenishing themselves with, with water, it's in that moment where 200 of them are like, one third of them were like, ah, David, you know what? Like, I do miss my family, but I'm tired. And man, David, this Dasani water is phenomenal. It's as, almost as if they found comfort in their moment that replaced the ultimate destination. And in that moment, David lost one third of his army. And I was thinking about that. And it is very easy to be so focused on the one-third that you forget about the two-third that is still with you. And we look at the one-third that left, the one-third that rested, the one-third that's like, hey, I can't go on, I'm too tired. And we sit there and we sit with, and like, if you're like me, you're like, but why? Just come with me. But I love what David did. I love the heart of David because David said, 
the continuation of verse 10, he said, but David continued the pursuit with the 400 men. I love this because it reminds me that the one third may have dropped off, but I got two thirds behind me and we're still going to pursue. Like it reminds me that no matter what happens, I still gotta pursue. I still gotta have a spirit, a posture of persistence to keep moving forward. Even when I see people dropping down, like we love you, but I gotta keep going. My vision is too valuable to stop. My vision is too valuable for you to hold me down. Like I gotta keep on going. Listen, I encourage you this morning that whatever vision that God has placed over your life, that you realize that no part, that one third is not worth you stopping. That you be like David, you continue to keep pressing and keep moving forward because it's worth it. It is worth it. So we're looking at three postures that David had on his way of restoring the expectation. First one was posture of prayer. Number two was a posture of persistence. And then number three was the posture of pity. The posture of pity. Now, right off the bat, I do want to say this because I feel like culturally the word pity has had a negative connotation. But here's what pity means the feeling of sorrow and compassion caused by the suffering and misfortunes of others. So this idea of having pity on someone is having compassion on them because of the suffering that they're dealing with. Let's read this next verse. Along the way they found an Egyptian man in the field and brought him to David. They gave him some bread to eat and water to drink. They also gave him part of a fig cake and two clusters of raisins. For he hadn't had anything to eat or drink for three days and nights. Before long, his strength returned. Now I want you to notice what just took place. These 400 men, they're in pursuit of, of what God was telling them. And in the moment of pain, in their moments of payback, in their moments of 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 being uh, of, of of pursuing what God had had, had shown them, they took the time. Watch this to minister out of the abundance of their pain. These guys, they're on their way, and they run into this Egyptian slave. And they could have just let him go, but instead they ministered to his need. Now this seems like this may contradict the, the, the second point, but they didn't stay ministering to this guy. Like they fed him, they encouraged him, but they didn't stay there forever. Listen, I love this because what it shows is that no matter how much, uh, like how, however no, no, no matter how much pain or frustration or hurt that I'm dealing with, like there's always moments for me to minister out of the pain that I'm dealing with. Now, this is so counterculture because culture tells you that, uh, that if you are in pain, then you just, like you can't help anybody when you're in pain. Like you just need to go on the sideline and you just rest and you just do your thing until you feel 100% better 
here's your band-aid, here's your lollipop, we love you. Like that's culture, that's what culture tells you, but that's not what scripture tells us. That's not what God's word tells us. Like we're reading it right here that in the midst of their pain, they still ministered to this guy that was in need. Come on, if, if we waited until we were perfect and until we were, um, until we were ready, like th there would be nobody. There would be nobody to... To, to reach people with the love of Jesus if we waited for us until we felt good, until we were pain-free. That's why I love, like, that there's people in our church that have gone through some of the hardest moments in their life. And yet, in the midst of that, Man, they are still loving other people. They are still loving and taking care of other people out of the pain that they had just experienced. Imagine a church of people who, who desired for God, that, that, that were waiting and allowing God to restore them, but in the midst of them being restored in the midst of God healing their hearts and healing their pain, like they were still serving others. They were still loving others. They were still ministering to others. Man, that's the church. That's the church. They ministered to this Egyptian guy, and here's what's amazing, is that the pity that David and his men had towards this Egyptian guy was actually beneficial to them. So David and his men, they ministered to this guy, but what they didn't realize is that this guy that they were ministering to held the key to the next stage that God had for David and his men to reach the Amalekites because they realized that as they fed him and as they talked to this guy, they realized that this guy knew where the Amalekites were camping out at. And this guy told David and his men where the Amalekites were. And check this out. We're going to read this as we close. So he led David to them, and they found the Amalekites spread out across the fields, and eating and drinking and dancing with joy because of the vast amount of plunder they had taken from the Philistines in the land of Judah. So they view, they, 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 this guy, he leads them to the Amalekites' campsite. And they watch how these guys are celebrating the plunder, the, the destruction that they just did to David in his men's camp. We'll go on to read that David attacked them. David got back, attacked, excuse me, David got back everything the Amalekites had taken and he rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, small or great, son or daughter, nor anything else that had been taken. David brought everything back. So when David postured himself in prayer, when he postured himself in persistence, and when he postured himself in pity, sympathy, we can use the, the other word, like it, it led him to the restoration that God had promised. Come on, I challenge you this morning that whatever you're facing, that you have the expectation of restoration, that no matter what has taken place this past year, this past five years, this past months, this past week, that you believe in faith 
that God is in the business of restoration. That no matter what happens, that I have the expectation of restoration. Come on, he's restoring families in faith. He's restoring marriages. He's restoring vision. He's restoring businesses. He's restoring careers. Come on, he's in the business of restoration. This morning, I want to encourage you that whatever the enemy has taken, that God is in the business of restoration. Come on, somebody. Thank you for listening to Message Rewind. Come back every Monday night at 5 p.m. to hear the latest message from Discovery Church.